Jeremiah chapter 23. That's where we're going to be. Kind of just like last week, though, we're in a doctrine series, and we're going to be you know, moving around to a bunch of different passages. And so it's totally your call if you want to be flipping around with me and, and seeing if you can keep up and flipping pages really quickly. Um, but we're going to be looking at a couple of different passages for sure. But if you want to start off with that first one, we'll get to it in a little bit here. But as you're getting turned there, uh, we've got a picture for you up on the screen here. Um, anyone know what this is? Specifically. Okay, specifically, I know it's a taco. Okay, I know it's a taco, but anyone tell me what taco this is? I heard it. I heard the Taco Supreme from Taco Bell for sure. That's exactly what that is. I know some of you have that as a guilty pleasure, and, uh, and you go to that, and you tap into the Taco Supreme for sure. Now, listen, with all due respect to the fine folks at Taco Bell, um, does it seem to you like, like using the word supreme uh, to describe that is maybe overselling it, like just a touch, right? Like maybe, maybe just a bit. Like surely, surely, uh, you know, a taco from Chipotle, right? Have you ever been to Chipotle? That's like my favorite place on earth. Right, Chipotle or, you know, an authentic Mexican restaurant. We got, you know, a few in our area for sure that are really great. Or maybe even it's just like your own home recipe and you guys have taco night, taco Tuesday or something like that. You've got that, that going. Surely one of those examples would be superior. Again, all due respect, but, but be superior to, to that. Would we agree with that? I mean, it's kind of interesting, you know, how, how that word supreme you know, gets tossed around to the point where, where it essentially, it loses its meaning, doesn't it? It loses its, its significance. And, and, I, and I think that because the meaning of the word supreme has been cheapened somewhat, because we, we tend to use it, we apply it to things like, like tacos and, and other things that we call supreme, because it's been cheapened, when, when we hear it, Okay, uh, used to describe the, you know, the, the very character of God, okay? The, the, the gravity, the, the impact of it can be kind of lost on us, can't it? Okay, but when we, when we stop for a moment and, and we really kind of just consider and, and think about how vastly supreme the Lord Almighty actually is, Right? And we consider the, the weight of that, of that word. It, you know, that word begins to make, to make sense again. Right? The, 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 the true sense of that word supreme, it's perfectly applied to him because, because it actually fits perfectly. Okay? According to the scriptures, and some of you know this very well, there is nothing, there is, is no one better, higher, greater in all creation than the Lord. It's, it's, it's not an exaggeration. We're, we're, we're not overselling it when we, when we call him that. He, he truly is above all things. I mean, we just, we just sang it, right? God of all, but he is supreme. All right, so as we continue in our, in our doctrine series today, we're gonna spend these next few moments here uh, looking into the character of God, okay, the character of God, who he is, some of, his, some of his attributes, 
Because much like we talked about last week when we looked into uh, the doctrine of the Trinity, the understanding who our God is, it is just so, so critical for us as Christ followers and as the church. Now, why? why? Why is that the case? Why is it, you know, important? Well, I can tell you, it's not, not just because, you know, we're, we're, we're trying to observe some things about him and, 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 and dissect it. Maybe like you would, you know, dissect a frog in biology class or something like that. Just, you know, to learn some, some facts and, and all of that. That's not what that's, what not, that's not what studying and knowing doctrine uh, is really all about. Do you understand? That doctrine isn't just some, some heady, you know, coarse material that we are trying to get into our brains so that we know a bunch of, you know, right answers. That's not it. Okay, so again, why, why look into his attributes? Why look into the character of God today? Well, well simple. It's because we're to know him. Okay, we are to, to know him. Our relationship with God is, is to be deeply personal, right? deeply personal and, and understanding doctrine is to drive us further and, and, and deeper into a faith-filled and, and intimate and, and deeply fulfilling relationship with him. All right, so that's where we're going today and we're gonna dive deep into this here, but uh, before we get into this and into Jeremiah 23 specifically, let's, let's bring these things before the Lord. Let's pray. God, we do worship you, Lord. We come before you and, and already so much great ministry has taken place here today, Lord. You have drawn near to us. You have encouraged our hearts. You have blessed us, Lord. You have, you have, have shown us that you are at work in your church. Lord, we've seen that it, through Mackenzie's testimony, through Jasmine's testimony, and Father, our response is to rejoice. Our response is to praise you, Lord. And now as we you know, open up your word and we talk about some very important things, Lord, I pray that, that we would not just worship a God that we don't really have the first clue about. Lord, I pray that we would understand who you are, Lord, understanding that our finite minds will never be able to fully grasp an infinite God. Lord, we get that. But Lord, we want to press into you. We want to know you clearly. We want to know you as you are. We want to know you as the scriptures teach us. And so God, help us today. Bless your church. Draw near to us, Lord. Glorify the mighty, matchless name of Jesus Christ. God, we pray all of these things, and it's in his name we pray them. Amen. Amen. All right, well, here we go. Here we go. First thing, my God is vastly supreme. He's vastly supreme, and, and I'm astounded by his omnipresence, by his omnipresence. Now, we're going to be looking into three kind of major areas of God's character here this morning. We're going to be looking at his, his omnipresence, his omniscience, and also his omnipotence. Okay, and so next time I'm with you, we're gonna spend some more time looking into the character of God and looking into his, his attributes. And so today is kind of God's character part one. We're gonna get to part two later on down the road because it's far too much uh, to tackle in just one message. And so we're gonna spend the next little bit here looking at who our Lord is. Love it, love it. Excited for that. Now, listen, these, these three omni words that I just mentioned, um, 
They may or may not be words that you are used to hearing. Maybe you've never heard those words before and uh, you don't even understand what they are and maybe they're not really a part of your vocabulary. Well, listen, I think it's good that, that we, we make them part of our vocabulary. We make them part of our understanding and we, we unpack these and know them, know them well, okay? And so we're gonna explain these things as we go. But here, first thing here, you know, what do we mean by that, by that word there that you see, omnipresence? Okay, what do we mean by that? What does it mean? All right, well, that prefix omni that you see there is, is from the Latin, and it, it means all. It means all. And so, so omnipresence literally means um, everywhere. It literally means everywhere. God is present everywhere at all times. Okay, you got Jeremiah 23. You ready? We're going to look at uh, verses 23 and 24. So take a look at that here, and we're going to see this, uh, that, that the Lord makes that really clear, that he is present everywhere at all times in his word. Here it is, verse 23. He says, am I a God at hand, declares the Lord, and not a God far away? Okay, so you see that he is, he is near, and he is also far. He is, he is everywhere, and then he says, can a man hide himself in secret places so that I cannot see him, declares the Lord? Do I not, I love this, fill heaven and earth? Do I not fill heaven and earth? All right, so because, because God is, is spirit and, and he's not limited by, by you know, a physical form, all right, it means that he's not limited by spatial constraints. And how do we... How do we know that? How do we know that he's not limited by space like you and I are in the material, physical world is? How do we know that? Well, well, it's because, because Genesis 1, okay, right in the very beginning of the Bible, it tells us that, that he created it, right? He created space. It says that he created the, the heavens and, and the earth. So, so listen, he he exists outside of space. He exists outside of, of time for, uh, as well. He ex exists outside of it before it even began. Okay, if your mind is turning to mush as you, you know, even begin to try and comprehend that, listen, I'm right with you there. And uh, that, is even, that is even a good thing. Right? He exists outside of all of it. I mean, we really see that reflected in Samuel's prayer in the Old Testament. You know, when he says, heaven and the highest heaven cannot contain you. He cannot contain you. We see that there in, in 1 Kings 8, verse 27. Now, now th th this doesn't mean that he is merely bigger than, than the space that the universe occupies. Okay? We have to be really careful that we understand this properly. It means that we can't think of God in, in spatial terms at all. Okay? And we can't think of him in that category. We spent a bunch of time you know, talking through some, some Wayne Grudem quotes. I feel like he's just a personal friend of our church now. Um, but this is what he says here. He says, God is a being who exists without size or dimensions in space. Okay, another thing to be careful of is that we don't drift into pantheism, okay, pantheism. Now, pan, that, that prefix, uh, if, if, if omni is the Latin for all, pan is the Greek for all. It means all uh, as well. So all creation is divine. Okay, now, if you've ever seen that movie, 
Avatar, right? Highest grossing movie uh, of all time came out a few years ago, I guess. And, and maybe you remember that scene with, you know, with the tree where they were kind of saying that like all, you know, you know God is, is in the very fabric, you know, the, the very life of creation itself. And it, and it, was, it was teaching that, that, that it was in that tree, inside that tree. Everything that exists is in fact God. Okay, that's pantheism. Okay, but that's not, okay, that's not what, what the Bible teaches. Okay, it teaches us that, that God is everywhere, absolutely, but that he is also separate or distinct from his creation. Okay, something else that we should understand when we're thinking through God's omnipresence is that while he's present everywhere at all times, okay, he does act differently in different places. Okay, does that make sense? He moves in, in different ways at, at, at different times and places within creation. He's not doing the exact same thing here in this room as he is doing, you know, a thousand kilometers in a different direction. Not necessarily, right? He's doing different things in different places, okay? A lot of guys, Grudem included, have, have noted that God can be present at any one place for kind of three, you know, three major purposes. It could be to punish it could be to sustain or it could be to bless. Okay, so for example, maybe you've heard that, you know, maybe you've heard people say that, that hell is where God is not, okay? Or, or hell will be void of the, of the presence of God and that's what makes it so awful. Okay, have you ever heard that before? So God will not be in hell? Well, listen, I, I, I don't believe that that's accurate. I really don't. Okay, Revelation 14 makes it pretty clear that it's not accurate. It says this. It says that he also will drink the wine of God's wrath, poured full strength into the cup of his anger, and he will be tormented with fire and sulfur. Okay, so it's talking about the wrath poured out on, on sinners in hell, fire and sulfur. And then it says this, in the presence of, his holy, of the holy angels and in the presence of the Lamb. In the presence of the Lamb. God is... God is everywhere, including hell, but, but in, that, in, in that location, in that place, specifically, it's, it's to punish, right? It's, it's his wrath, which is, which is an awful thing to try and comprehend and think through, okay? But in, in Colossians 1, verse 17, we see that, that God's presence is to sustain. We've talked about this verse a few times. He sustains the very creation itself. This is what it says. It says, he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. Right? In him all things hold together. His very presence in creation, in the universe, keeps everything from just blowing up, imploding, ceasing to exist, and however you want to look at that. Okay? He sustains creation. You know, most of the time when it talks, when the Bible talks about God's presence, it's usually referring to how he blesses us, right? He blesses us. Psalm 16 verse 11, this is what it says. It says, in your presence, there is fullness of joy. There's fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. Okay, it's not that God isn't present everywhere. It's just that there are certain times and, and, and situations where, where God is present 
you know, specifically to maybe punish or, 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 or sustain for sure or to, or to bless. Okay, God's, God's omnipresence, when you begin to look at it, I mean, we're barely scratching the surface on this here today. But when you begin to, to look at this, it, it's astounding, right? It's, it's nothing less than that when you, when you stop and consider the, these passages and, and the reality of this. Our response is really, wow, wow. Now, that's all good and that's all great, but, but what exactly does this mean for, for you and I, right? Because God's omnipresence, you know, it, it's not something that has no, no bearing on, on our lives or anything like that. It, it absolutely de- does have an impact and We've got these things on the screen for you. Five ways God's omnipresence impacts my life. You can jot these down if you like. Okay, and these are, of course, somewhat related to each other here, the five things that I wrote down. And this is not all, you know, this is not an exhaustive list, of course. Okay, but the first one there, you see it. Nothing I do is truly in secret. When you think about God's omnipresence, okay, you realize my, my thoughts, my actions, I, I'm not hiding that. I, I, I may have fooled some people. I, I, may have, I may be pretty good at putting on a show for, you know, for, for this crowd maybe or you know, to, to my spouse or to my kids or to my boss or to whoever it might be. But listen, the Lord, the Lord sees it. Nothing is truly a secret. Now, if they are dishonorable things that, that we are hiding, yeah, that, brings, that might bring some fear. Right? And that might bring conviction that you need to, you know, to get those things out in the open and to be maybe a little bit more transparent and, and, and to, to ask the Lord to make you a person of integrity and all of that. Okay, but maybe for you, it's, it's honorable deeds and, and you're doing things and, and people aren't seeing them. Well, listen, that's okay. That's all right. You, you don't need, we, we don't do things. We don't serve in the church. We don't, we don't bless other people. We don't follow the Lord so that people will give us a pat on the back. But sometimes we can feel like, well, I'm not getting the attention that, you know, I kind of want for what I'm doing and people aren't praising me for it. No, that's okay. The Lord sees it. The Lord sees it. He will, he will bless you. It's not a secret from him. You don't worry about what what people think of you or the praise that you get from man, you're doing it for the Lord. Okay, nothing I do is, is truly a secret when I consider God's omnipresence. Here's the second one. I'm never truly alone. I'm never truly alone. How much of a, how much of a comfort is that to us? You know, when we feel, when we feel alone, you know, and, 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 and be really careful here, and, and we've talked about this kind of thing before, but we're really careful when you, you know, feel alone and, and, and those, those feelings of, of loneliness and, and, and emptiness are, you know, bubbling up and they're starting to make you think that, you know, maybe God isn't here and, and, and maybe God doesn't care and I've been crying out to him and, and it feels like he's a million miles away, so I guess that means that he is and God doesn't care about me. No, listen, listen, be so careful in those moments. Don't let your, don't let your emotions be the thing that drives the bus. Let your emotions be the trailer. Okay, allow God and his word and the truth to drive you in all of this. God is there. You're not alone. You're not there, you're not alone at all. He is with you. Take comfort in it, even if you don't feel it. Trust the truth. Lean into the Lord. Cry out for him 
to come close. Here's the third one. I can't run away from him. I can't run away from him. I mean, how many of us in this room have spent far too much of our lives, you know, sometimes it's been years, it has been decades, in some kind of lame and pathetic way, trying to run away from the Lord. Well, I, I, don't, I don't wanna face that thing that I sense the Lord wants to press me on. That, that sin that I'm kind of enjoying right now that's bringing me some sense of pleasure. I, 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 I don't want to face you, Lord, and I know that you wouldn't really like that, so I'm, but I'm going to give myself into that. I'm, I'm going to try and run, spiritually speaking, I'm going to try and run away from him. Well, if God is, is omnipresent, as the scriptures teach us, we can't do that. Right? We, can't, we can't run away from, from him, him, not actually. Now that might fill you with some dread as you think about that this morning. And I would encourage you, just surrender it to him. He is good. He is faithful. He is kind. He wants to forgive you for whatever that thing is that you've been going after. He wants to turn your life around. He wants to do some great work in your heart. Okay, turn, turn your life over to him. You know, for those of us who are, you know, maybe walking with the Lord and, and we're in a good place, I mean, the fact that we can't run away from him, does that not bring us joy? How great is that? Maybe you had a pretty cruddy week, you know, and I, I didn't follow the Lord very well, and I, you know, I, I sinned, I fell into some old patterns. Isn't it amazing, isn't it amazing that ultimately you can't run away from him because he's the one that holds your salvation secure? You can't lose it, not if you're a true Christ follower, and he is always there ready to welcome you back in and to forgive you and to make you new and to transform you. You can't run away from him, not actually. Here's the fourth thing. He's accessible to me. He's accessible to me. It means when you're, when you're needy, when I'm needy, we, we can cry out to him and, and, and he's, not, he's not a million miles away. He really isn't. He is everywhere. He is everywhere. So he is there. Now again, it might, it might not feel like he's there. And perhaps that's because there's been some kind of sin in your life or you know, you've allowed a root of bitterness to grow and so that's kind of ruined some of the intimacy and, and the sense of closeness that you have uh, with him. But he is there. His, his actual presence in your life is real. Again, if you're a Christ follower, whether you know it or not. Okay, fifth way God's omnipresence impacts my life. When I pray for people, I know he's already there. Isn't that cool to think? Right? You pray for your family who you know, lives in a different country or in a different continent or you know, you're praying for a loved one or for a church or something, right? And, and they're far away or they're not right with you. Isn't it amazing to know that the Lord's right there? You know, he, he, he's hearing you where you are. He's acting right there simultaneously. How awesome is that? Right, love it. God's, God's omnipresence is astounding. All right, let's keep going here. God's my God is, is vastly supreme and I'm astounded by his omniscience, by his omniscience. Okay, if you want to turn in your Bible to 1 John chapter 3, we'll get to that uh, in a minute. Now, omniscience, what does that mean? Okay, well, it means all-knowing. Okay, all-knowing. God is all-knowing. I like this, this quote here by Nate Sullivan. This is how he defines God's omniscience. He says, God is omniscient in the sense that he is aware of the past, present, and future Okay, nothing takes him by surprise, nothing. His knowledge is total. He knows all that there is to know and all that can be known. In Job 37, verse 16, uh, Elihu, one of Job's friends, and if you know that book at all, 
Uh, Job's friends don't always get it right, but here in this case, I love it, and he nails it. He says, do you know the balancings of, of the clouds, the wondrous works of him who is perfect in knowledge? Perfect in knowledge. First John chapter three, take a look at verse 20 there. It says this, for whenever our heart condemns us, your heart ever do that? You're no good, you're worthless, you're broken, it'll never be okay, right? Our heart does that. Whenever our heart condemns us, God is greater than our heart. But then this part, and he knows everything. He knows everything. It's amazing, again, to think, to know that that God is, is fully aware of everything all at once. Like, put it this way. Like, if, if, if we ever had the opportunity to ask the Lord, like, you know, how many people have ever existed before, you know, since the beginning of time and, and whoever will exist, you know, to the end of all of, the, uh, of, of all of time? If we have the opportunity to ask him that, you realize that he would have the answer like that. Right? He wouldn't have to be like, well, hold on a second. I need to, like, grab a piece of paper and scratch out some, some math here and carry the one and, you know, or my... My, you know, my administrative assistant, she's gonna have to go back and do a file and, and hold on, just wait in the waiting room. We'll get that information. No, he's got it immediately. He, he doesn't have to, 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 to go back into his files. It's, it's there in his conscience. Every single thing that there is to know, he's got it totally. Okay? He, he doesn't forget. Okay? His memories don't fade. He's omniscient. He's, he's all-knowing. Now, in the person of Jesus Christ, you know, who we, we know, he's fully God. Jesus is fully, fully God. We, we talked about that just last week alone, right? But, but in the person of Jesus Christ, there appears to be some, you know, somewhat of a, of a paradox there. Okay, in John 4.18, we see, we see Christ's omniscience on display when, when he, he talks to the woman at the well. You remember this? And he says to her, he says, you are right in saying, I have no husband, right? Because you have had five husbands and the one you are with now is not your husband, right? Well, how do you know that? She didn't tell him that information. It's because he's omniscient. He is all knowing. He knows her life. He knows every single detail about it, about, about our lives as well. In, in John chapter 11, Okay, he knew that his friend Lazarus had, had died, even though no one had, had told him or the disciples that uh, at that point. And later, when the disciples were, you know, were choosing somebody to replace Judas okay, as a disciple in, in Acts 1.24, they, they pray to Jesus, who had already ascended and was with the Father, and he says, you, Lord, who know the hearts of all. Okay, so, so clearly we see there that, that Jesus is omniscient. Okay, so then, remember we mentioned paradox here. So, so what are we to make of some of those other places in Scripture, you know, where, where it says, for example, in Luke 2.52, that, that Jesus increased in wisdom and stature, it's talking about Jesus as a young boy. Well, I thought he had possessed all of it. How is it that he, he grew in this? That seems to not quite line up with some of the other things we even just looked at. Or, or in Matthew 24, okay, verse 34 to, to 36, 
where we learn that even, even Jesus doesn't know the exact time that the world would come to an end. You remember that? Right? Only, only the Father knows, knows all of this. Okay, what are, we, what are we to make of this? What, what are we supposed to do when we, when we come up against this in, in God's word? It, it kind of seems to show in those cases that maybe Jesus isn't omniscient. Right, what do we do with this? Well, probably the best way to understand this is through Philippians chapter two, if you want to jot that down there. And where it says that, it talks about Jesus. It says, though he was in the form of God, okay, though he was in the form of God, he did not count, listen, equality with God, a thing to be grasped or, or held onto, okay? That's what that means. But, but rather he emptied himself, meaning he, he, he let go of, of that equality with God by taking on the form of, of a servant. He took, on, he took on humanity there, being born, it says, in, in the likeness of men. Okay, so, so recognize here that, that Jesus, he, he willingly, voluntarily restricted or, or limited, or you might even say veiled, his, some of his divine attributes when he came to earth as a man, like, like knowledge in this case. And, and why? why? Why did he do this? Why, I believe the main reason was to, to really identify with us in our humanity. We have, we have a human nature. Jesus had two natures. He, he was both divine and, and human. Okay? In God's omniscience, in his great wisdom and his willingness to limit that at times. Listen, we should be astonished. We, just, we picture the humility of our God. Right? When we get so proud and so full of ourselves, we should look at that and just be like, man, who am I? Right, God is, God is supreme, right? He's nothing short of that whatsoever. Now, just like we looked at with God's omnipresence, what, is his, what does his omniscience mean for us? What does it mean for you and I? Well, here we go, four ways that God's omniscience impacts my life. Four ways. Okay, first one, I can trust him with my future. I can trust him with my future. Right, when we believe that God is truly all-knowing, that he has all wisdom, that he knows the beginning from the end, that he's got all of it, listen, we can, we can relax. We can, we can trust him with, with our future. We don't need to stress and wring our hands and, and, and worry about ourselves or worry about other people and all of that. And all of us are you know, on the spectrum of figuring out how to do that and, and to surrender more of that to the Lord. But again, at the end of the day, God's omniscience means that we can trust him. We can, we can trust him with our future. Here's the second thing. I know his wisdom won't fail me. His wisdom won't fail me. He knows everything, which means his wisdom is perfect. It's not flawed. It's not broken. He's not going to misdirect you in anything like that. If you believe that God is omniscient, you, you will come to him in prayer and you will wait on an answer and, and, and you, will, you will believe that he knows what's best. Another way that God's omniscience impacts me, I can be okay with not knowing everything. I can be okay with all of that. Right, we often 
We often stress, again, I said it a little bit earlier, but we stress so much about all the things that we don't know and all the things that we, we can't control and, and all the things that we'll probably never know in some cases. Listen, he does. And it's enough. And I think sometimes as Christ followers, a lot of times as Christ followers, we carry this, this massive sack of anxiety and fear and doubt and dread around us. And we sort of like learn how to live with it, only we do such a brutal job of it and we carry it with us and, and we don't sleep and we're kind of miserable and, our, and, and, and we're short you know, in our tempers and our attitudes with people. And we care more about ourselves than anybody else or anything else. And, and listen, at the end of the day, all of that anxiety, call it what it is, it's sin. It's sin at the end of the day, I think, because we don't believe that God truly knows it all and therefore we can, we can just chill out. We can be okay with the fact that we don't know everything. We have a God who does. It's about growing, growing to be cool with that. Okay, last thing here, last way that God's omniscience impacts my life. And I can appreciate that his timing is best. His timing is best. He knows what we need when we need it, if we need it. I think a lot of us, we spend so much time praying for things that the Lord loves. I can't give that, person, that, that to that person. It'll become an idol. It will replace me. And so we spend so much time praying for things that the Lord's like, no, like, I, I know your heart. I can't give you this. You're not gonna be able to handle it. Or he wants to give us something, but it's, it's, it's not yet. And that's the answer. And we've, we've, got, we've got to wait. And, and the Lord's trying to develop some perseverance in us. And, and we need to, to continue to come to him and be desperate and, and cry out to him as Lord. If he just gave us everything we wanted right when we wanted, we'd be a bunch of spoiled brats. That's what we would be. I can appreciate that his timing is best when I believe and it's know and understand and my heart is impacted by the fact that God is omniscient. What an awesome thing to comprehend. Here's the final thing today. Hey, my God is vastly supreme, and I'm astounded by his omnipotence. By his omnipotence. Okay, if you want to get turned over to Matthew chapter 19. Matthew chapter 19. Now, when we talk about God's omnipotence, um, what we're saying there, what we mean by that is God is all-powerful. God is all-powerful. In both uh, Genesis and Genesis 18 and Jeremiah 32, there's a rhetorical question uh, that's asked there. And the question is, is, is anything too hard for the Lord? It's rhetorical because the obvious answer for us who know him is no. No, no there's nothing that's, that's too hard for him. In Ephesians 3.20 it says, now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think. That's an incredible verse. I think about that. I can ask for some pretty cool things. Some things that are way beyond me. Some massive things. He can do more than that. He's not limited by what we can conjure up and what we can think. And then Matthew 19, if you're there, verse 26. He says this, but, but Jesus looked at them and said, with man, this is impossible, but with God, all things are possible. Okay, all things are possible. You need to underline that in your Bible for sure. Okay, now with that being said, we do need to be a little bit careful here on how we understand this. We need to understand this, you know, properly for sure. 
Because when we say that, that God can do anything and you know, all things are possible, we have to understand and realize here what we are and the scriptures really mean by that. And what it means is that God can do anything that is in line with his character and moral perfection. Okay? In other words, what I'm saying is that it's okay to say that there are things that God cannot do. It's okay to say that. And you might be thinking, pastor can't say that. Right? God can do anything. Okay, well, hang on a second there. For example, he can't lie. He can't sin. He can't lie. He can't, he can't cheat. He can't steal. That would violate his, his character, his, his moral perfection. He can't be tempted with evil. He's not going to be like, well, Satan, yeah, like, you know, you, you make a pretty good point there, and maybe I should consider all that. No, according to his character, he, he cannot do that. He can't, he can't deny himself. He is faithful to himself. Okay, again, these would, these would contradict the very, the very attributes, the very character of our awesome and, and, and perfect God. And I think what all of this kind of shows is the danger sometimes of, of isolating one of his attributes at the expense of another, right? So for example, we, you know, we might get so caught up in, in, in God's justice, right? And that, that's an attribute of God and it's an amazing one and, and that he holds us to account and, 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 and that he's good. That's all tied into his justice and he can't just let sin slide. He's not just kind of kicking it under the rug and all of that. No, he has to deal with it. He has to punish uh, that, right? And, and at the end of the day, it's either going to be us that's getting the punishment or it's going to be his son Jesus and us trusting that, that he received the punishment that, that we deserve. That's the gospel, but sometimes we can get so focused on his justice and his, his punishment and, and there's wrath and, and his hatred of sin and all of that, but then forget and, and, and at the, you know, isolate that and forget about his love. But he loves us passionately. Yes, we sin. Yes, we make all kinds of mistakes daily. Constantly we're doing it. It's in our hearts. It comes out of our hearts, out of our mouths. You name it. But the Lord loves us despite all of it. And so you see the danger of isolating one at the expense of the other. We've got to consider all the different attributes and, and build this, this map, this picture of God as best as we can, as little old you and I, of, of who the Lord is. And that's why, you know, we could spend weeks and weeks and weeks talking about the different attributes of God and his character. We've got to be careful of all of that. Okay, so really a good way of putting it then is God can do anything that he decides to do. He decides to do. His, his power to do what is good and what is right is, is endless. It's endless. And it's not that he has like this, you know, endless power supply somewhere, like, like a bottomless gas tank or, you know, or a, or a charging station that, that he plugs into. No, that, that, that's not what we're saying, okay? He himself is endless power. It's who he is. It, is. it is his character. It is his nature. I mean, maybe the most obvious display of God's omnipotence, his, his power is seen in creation, right? In, in, in Genesis chapter one, he, he made the heavens and the earth. He, he formed these things. He created mankind, 
He made the, 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 the sun, moon, and stars. He created animals. He, he, he forged the, the earth. He created light. He, all of it. He made that. How did he do that? Simply by speaking it. Speaking it. He didn't have to go to school to learn how to do this. He, that is ultimate power. We see it in creation. The scriptures show us all along the way that he, he did amazingly powerful things. Like he parted the Red Sea, right? And, and Moses and, and the Israelites marched right through on dry land. He's just like, I'm gonna spread the seas open and, and that's gonna go. And, and imagine how wild of a scene that would have been. And, and you know, Pharaoh and the, Israel, and, and, and the Egyptians, they get there and like, what? Right, they say, crazy, right? That, that's what he did. He, he, later, Jesus, he turned water into wine. It's his first miracle in the New Testament. He calmed the, the wind and the waves. He controlled nature. Think about the power there. He cast out demons. Demons fled in terror at the sound of his name. He healed the sick. Of course, he, he raised the dead. He raised Lazarus, who I mentioned a little bit ago. Listen, including himself. He raised himself from the grave three days after dying on the cross, forever defeating the power of sin and death. God's power is supreme and the appropriate response on our part as his church, as his followers, as his creation, astonishment, right? To be, to be astounded by it. All right, so here we go. Here's what, a, here's what an astounded or what a life astounded by God's omnipotence looks like. Okay, here's what it looks like. Four things. Okay, first of all, gutsy prayer. Gutsy prayer. Okay, enough of the, you know, surfacy praying for felt needs only. Listen, does this God care about our physical health? Absolutely. But like gutsy prayers are, are, are what begins to grip your heart and come out of your mouth and come from your soul as you realize how powerful God is. Prayers like, Lord, do whatever it takes to capture my child's heart. Do you realize how gutsy that is? Because you know what the Lord might do? Yeah, yeah, who knows what he might do? It might mean that your child goes through an incredibly painful thing. It might be that your, you yourself, your family, goes through an incredibly painful thing. But if we truly believe in God's omnipotence, so be it, Lord. Do whatever it takes. Bring them low. Take them to the mat. Crush their sin. Crush their pride. As long as they bring glory to you for the rest of their lives. Lord, do it. That is a gutsy prayer. Lord, would you just like help me get over this, the sniffles? <laughs> right, you see the difference there? <laughs> Seriously, church, go for it. Small groups, maybe you need to step it up. Start praying for these things, go for it. God is powerful, he can handle it. Beyond that, he wants to do it. He wants to do it. Stop praying for little things that are really deflecting from what's really going on in your life. Pray gutsy, guttural, hardcore prayers. That's what he wants to do. That's what life is about. Enough of this praying for myself and pray. No, I'm astounded by God's omnipotence. I'm going for it. Okay, second one. This is the way I put it. Gasoline soaked and lit on fire worship. 
Okay, you tracking with that? Okay. Lord, I love you and I want to be at church and I wanna come and I wanna worship you. I don't care what someone else thinks. I don't care what the person next to me does. I am here to bring glory to you. This is coming from my heart. This might be expressed in you know, raising my hands, singing loudly, closing my eyes, getting on my knees, whatever it is, Lord, I want to do this. Just like we would pour gas on a fire, throw a match on a bonfire, that should be our worship. That's what it should be about. No stomach for singing. And then it dies. No stomach for sitting there with our hands in our pockets. No stomach for just, let's get through this. No, that makes us want to wretch because we are so captivated by the omnipotence of God and we just want to bring worship and glory back to him. That's what it is about when we were captured and astounded by God's omnipotence. Here's the third one uncommon community or bust. Uncommon community or bust. We spent an entire series talking about what the community of God as a church should look like. Uncommon community or bust. When we see that God is all powerful, when we see that he wants to transform us, that he wants to make this church awesome and do a work in our hearts and build our relationships and make them sweet and make them great and make them real, we will get beyond the surfacey, hey, how's it going? Good, good, good. Yeah, me too. I'm good. I'm great. That's awesome. But then, you know, as you start to get to know people, you find out, oh, that person actually isn't very kind. And that person doesn't like that guy. And she is, you know, bothered by him. And they can't even sit together at church or on the different sides. Or that person can't come into the service. Or they don't want to get out of the small group now because that person's in the small group. And you see all of that nonsense and that garbage that's going on because we tend to be so, so okay with surfacey community. Done with all of that once we see the power of the Lord. Once we grasp that, once we understand it. I'm gonna go for this. I'm, I'm committing to these people. I don't care that that guy likes golf and I hate golf. We're gonna be buds. We're gonna to get together. We're gonna to disciple each other. We're gonna press, press into the things that really matter. Okay, I'm gonna be for that person. That person offended me. Guess what? Jesus was offended too. So I'm, I'm gonna put that aside. I'm gonna offer forgiveness even if the person hasn't asked for it. Well, that person kind of rubs me the wrong way. Who cares? Pray for that person. Love that person. Don't gossip about that person. Uncommon community or bust. Being the church that God wants us to be. All in for godly relationships. That's what happens when we understand how powerful of a God we're dealing with here. Last thing, last thing. What a life is standard by God's omnipotence looks like. God's kingdom come death to mine. Death to mine. Okay, bold evangelism. Well, I don't know if I really want to share Christ with people because that person may not, may not love the message. Yeah, guess what? They're not going to love the message. The gospel offends. The gospel tells people that they're broken and dead and dying and hell's, hell's where they're headed. That, that, that's, that's a hard message to get across to people. But we were captured by, by the power of God, his omnipotence, that he is all-powerful, we're gonna be like, you know what? I, I gotta share this message and I'm doing it because I love the person and I care about their eternity. And I care about where they're at. Bold evangelism, on mission. That, this is what I want. This is what my life is committed to. Sacrificial service. I'm not just serving because someone asked me to. I'm not just serving because there's a need. It's because I want to. My heart beats for this. I wanna do the job that no one else wants to do. I wanna, I wanna bless people. I want the Lord to use me. God's kingdom come, death to mine. My, my desires, my comfort, all of that, eh, done with it. God's kingdom, God's glory, 
That's it. That's what I'm going for. That's what my life is characterized by. Enough wasting time, spending time, giving into my pursuits and, and my, my selfish dreams, if that's what they are. God's kingdom, God's glory. If God really is vastly supreme and, and our hearts actually get all of that, this becomes the only option. The only option. Like we get his, his omnipresence, his, his omniscience, his omnipotence, mediocrity as the church, lukewarmness as the church. That, that's no longer truly an option for us anymore. It's I'm, I'm all in, push all my chips forward. I'm going for it with the Lord. That's it. Now listen, if, if that's not you or, you know, you have really no idea what I'm talking about and, and maybe it's your first time at church, I don't know. Maybe, maybe you have to really ask, your question, ask the question, well, maybe it's because I don't, I don't know him. I don't know him. And if you don't know Jesus Christ as Savior, like Mackenzie and Jasmine shared so boldly about this morning, if you don't, listen, surrender your life to him today. Surrender, give everything, give the reins of your life over to the Lord Jesus. Give it over to him. Understand, listen, you're, you're a broken individual. And listen, as, as broken as you might feel, you may not even know the half of it. Right? I am too. Right? It comes down to recognizing our sin and our pride is what's keeping us, keeping us away from God. The Bible tells us that we're, that we're headed to hell. Listen, weeping, gnashing of teeth, God's wrath, God's punishment forever. Awful, awful misery, misery. But listen, God's heart was, no, I don't want them to go there. I don't want them to suffer this. And so he sent Jesus Christ to the cross. He sent them there in your place as a substitutionary sacrifice. He died in your place so that if you would confess your sin and, and believe that what Jesus did on the cross secured your salvation, your forgiveness, you would be saved. Would you just admit real frankly, not trying to pretty it up, well, no, I'm not so bad. I'm not as bad as the next person. No, enough, enough of that. You need Jesus. Confess your sin to him. Ask him to be your Lord, and he will be. And if you've done that right now, you're a Christ follower. Your life will never be the same. Your eternity will never be the same. And if you have any questions about that, you absolutely come talk to one of us. Come talk to the person that you brought uh, after the service. We would love to walk you through all of this. But listen, I want to pray. We're going to get into some, some more worship here as, as we continue in our day. So the worship team's coming forward. Why don't you join me as we pray to this astounding God?